Welcome everybody to the H3 podcast. I'm here today with YouTuber ContraPoints, aka Natalie. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Ethan. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on. We were talking, we originally had you scheduled to come on the day after the election, but there was so much going on, we decided to wait and let the dust settle a little bit. Yeah, I would have been like comatose. I don't think I, I don't think I slept more than a couple hours that night. I was just like glued to Twitter for 16 straight hours. Uh, it would have been, it would have been bad. I was the same way and I was, um, yeah. were you losing your mind a little bit during that period? And it, it went on 100%. for like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I wasn't Fully sleeping crazy. and I was obsessed with like Twitter and the news and all. It was just, it was really, oh a, yeah, a it was a horrible like, week. Uh, terrible like like it, there was just like 90 consecutive hours of like pacing in a bathrobe looking at twitter just like really bad bad times i gotta say that first night was was pretty when i went to bed i was not feeling very happy i didn't go to bed i i, <laughs> I had to I, go to bed eventually yeah like, yeah because yeah. i have a kid I, so i was like well yeah yeah someone's got to take care of this little guy yeah, that's good. It's good to have um, something else in life to like be <laughs> responsible for. Because, well, I started getting house plants. That's my there you double, go. The level of responsibility <laughs> yeah. I'm comfortable with. But um, yeah, that's that's. I know I was I was I was I was losing it. I mean, I at first I was like having I was definitely having flashbacks to 2016 yeah. when you know everyone said I said Hillary's gonna win. Hillary's gonna win. Hillary's gonna win. And then that night, well. At 9 p.m. or whatever, like Trump starts winning states, and and, and it looked like that was going to happen again this time. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we all knew, like everyone said, like oh, there's going to be a blue shift. It's a red mm-hmm. mirage. Like don't worry about it. Like like he's going to, you know. But somehow, like I just, I guess, like four years of like political doom for me has kind of um, trained me to expect the worst. Mm. Well, I was really hoping. Because, you know, the polling was so dramatic, it was like 10 points here, billion points there. So when, when Florida fell to Trump, I was really hoping it would be like a swift knockout with the enormous lead he apparently had in the polls. But <laughs> Trump, like, you know, won Florida big time. And then I was like, okay, well, it's going to be a long night, you know, but shit. Well, now that it's over, how are you feeling over quote unquote? Um, I'm feeling pretty good these days. Like, I guess the first few weeks after, well, how many weeks has it been? It's been one month, I guess. Uh, the first couple of weeks I was like, I don't think Trump's going to leave. Like, I think, um, I think he's going to find some way to, I, I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I guess it was paranoid a little bit, but yeah. I feel like it was paranoia, like sort of informed by, well, informed by the fact that the president was like, I'm not leaving. Like, <laughs> by the that very- makes you kind of like, <laughs> that's not paranoia. Like that's just what's happening. I guess the question is like, does he have the actual power to, to, to do what he obviously intends and wants to do? Um, so I, it, it appears that he does not, but for a while I was like, I could have some, I can imagine a lot of scenarios where like if enough Republicans kind of lined up behind him and, I don't know. He was somehow able to convince, uh, like, like send different electors to the electoral college or something really obscure like that. I don't. It, it looks like that's probably not going to happen. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm calming down a bit about it. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling the same way. I'm feeling like for sure he's going to leave, but I'm more worried about like the he's just scorching earth. You know what I mean on the way out, yeah. and it's like. 
people are, just, it's just so fucked up. But, you know, what's kind of ironic is the Republicans in Georgia in this runoff that's so important are now losing faith in the election process. And I'm starting to see a lot of them saying, well, I'm just not going to vote because my vote doesn't matter. So if that's, if that's the case, then that would be the most poetic justice possible for his tantrum. Well, it's also, it's kind of true that like, <clears throat> if you tell your base that the election's rigged, like the votes are all lies, like <clears throat> it's not like necessarily the best get out the vote messaging, you know, yeah. like it's not good campaign messaging to say the election's fake. It um, is good. It is good messaging to drum up violence though. It like is, sedition, yeah. sedition, which, which scares me a lot. Well, He's stealing that! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it... <laughs> that was good. Sorry, I need to recover from that. <laughs> I, I think um, there's so many people in this country who are kind of, like, close to the edge, um, you know, especially if you look at, like, QAnon and, like, yeah. I feel like a lot of people have been further sort of sent to extreme places by the pandemic. The fact that they are like sort of not socially connected to other people and the kind of conspiracy theorizing has like no cis, no checks on it at all. And then you have like the president basically encouraging this, saying the election's stolen and saying like, you know, we're going to, we're going to basically uh, you know, we're going to take victory by whatever means necessary. I mean, he hasn't said that in, the, in that, those words, but he's implied it. And like, who knows what Trump means to say that by that, but I can imagine, you know, several thousand people who are going to hear that and think it's my patriotic yeah. duty to yeah. take up arms and like attack who knows what, yeah. an election center, I don't know, government buildings. Like uh, I can, it just seems highly likely that there's going to be violence that will come of this. Yeah, I would agree. But if you're, so you, I mean, it sounds like you made a video saying, you know, about voting, urging people on the mm -hmm. left. A lot of people on the left were, are or disenchanted, let's say, with like Joe mm -hmm. Biden because he's too moderate. So they, well, what's the point? So you made a video urging them that it's important to vote for Biden. So what, can you outline to me, like if Trump won in a second term, what is it about that second term that would be so horrible to for you? Well, I think if he had a second term, it would sort of embolden him to be sort of even more uh, sort of um, embolden him to even further disregard democratic norms, to be as, you know, even more authoritarian, to be even more outlandish on Twitter. Uh, not, uh, I say outlandish as if that's really the problem. It's not just being outlandish. It's It's being like, you know, just sort of unhinged and cruel and, mm. um, you know, it, it would potentially put him in the place to, to choose yet another Supreme court no nominee. And I don't know, I, I just, th there's a lot of like very dark implications that I see that, that having. Um, so, uh, I also, you know, it would also give him longer. I don't believe Trump believes in democracy. I think he clearly does not. Um, I think that he, I don't know. It would give him more time to basically, you know, lay the groundwork for the Trump dynasty, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be really, really horrible for <clears throat> democracy in this country. So, uh, of course, we'll never really know, um, like, the extent of the disaster that we just averted. But I think that it's, like, a huge step back from the edge of a cliff, basically. Um, I'm not super enthusiastic about Joe Biden. I don't really know anyone who is, to be honest. But I feel like at least this like hits the pause button on the slide into hell <laughs> and like lets us kind of like 
regroup and think about what to do next. Well, I saw this headline of like George Bush, Bill Clinton and Obama all together pledging that when the vaccine becomes available, they will all take it publicly to yeah. boost confidence. Like these are normal presidents. Like you may not agree with them, but they definitely care about democracy in the country. And yeah. we can all find that common ground at least. But I oh, and like I, I didn't even say anything about coronavirus. Like right. th- this this president who like basically, I mean, he basically has said that like wearing masks is for sissies. Yeah. Like I'm not doing that. Like look at Joe Biden. He looks like such a pussy with his giant you know you know mask. Like <laughs> yeah. like like in the middle of this pandemic that's like killing at this point. What is it like three thousand people a day? Yeah. Like it is just like the it, worst leadership you can imagine. In this situation. I believe he said two days before he got coronavirus about look at Joe Biden. He wears the biggest yeah. mask I've ever seen. Whatever the biggest that mask, yeah. yeah. So, now they say I'm immune. <clears throat> so um, I love all the sworn affidavits. Rudy's sworn affidavits. There's some great clips that just came out. I think this morning I saw them. And, you know, people, whenever I <clears throat> talk to people about like, who doubt the the uh, finality of the election, they always talk to all the evidence of voter fraud and specifically the sworn affidavits. So Ian, do me a favor and pull up this clip here. This is, this is one of the people who testified with a sworn affidavit that Rudy Giuliani brought into court to testify. So we can finally get a peek in. Like... A lot of people think all Indians look alike. I think all Chinese look alike. So how would you tell? <laughs> if some chow shows up, you can be anybody and you can vote. And if somebody with my name, you can't even tell my name. Anybody can vote. Like <clears throat> Compelling stuff. So the argument is that <clears throat> votes could be fake because how can you tell Chinese people apart? Is that the argument? <laughs> yeah. Eth- ethnic groups look all look the same. <laughs> And she's like, listen, I don't blame you because I think all Chinese people look the same. It's just the way it is. It's fine to be, it's fine to not be able to tell people about, I mean, it's just, yeah. Wow, that is, uh, that sure is an argument, yeah. But what's great is that Rudy Giuliani was like, I'm bringing this woman to court. She's compelling enough. This is going to convince them. This is going to convince a a judge, right? Another one. By the way, he was cracking up next to her. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily good that the lawyer yeah, is laughing at his, his witness. Is that what you want your witness to do is to, is to uh, entertain the courtroom? Like <laughs> everyone just fucking rolling on the floor. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> but what am I, what are we supposed to say? Like, how do we have a conversation with people that, that talk to the sworn affidavits, but this is the content of the sworn affidavits. So like what, how do we, how do you communicate to people that like are so fully convinced that the election was stolen? Which, by the way, last I checked, which was, you know, a few weeks ago, to be fair, but like 88 percent of Republicans think that the election was rigged. 88 <clears> percent. <throat> yeah. I mean, I'm someone who I think of myself as someone who's like likes to try to communicate with people yeah. I disagree with, and I like to try to reach out to people who, uh, you know, I think have a backwards point of view and try to understand where they're coming from. But honestly, with people who support Trump in 2020, I've kind of gotten to a point where I feel like 
there's such a level of detachment from reality that I just cannot get through. Like, because I don't think that the, the issue, I guess, is that when it comes to like election fraud, I don't think they care about evidence. Like, I don't think they really care mm. um, because if they did, like, they would be looking for some, you know, <laughs> like, like, and, you know, you can debunk each new piece of evidence they bring forward only for it to be replaced overnight with a new thing. And everyone forgets that the old one was debunked. So it's like, it's like this impossible task, like this hydra that you're trying to kill mm-hmm. of misinformation, right? right? Where you set, you know, you, okay. Oh, there's, there's this video of where it looks like, you know, and you debunk the video and you, you t- that takes six hours of work on your part. And then everyone immediately forgets that that was ever used as evidence that right. the election, that there's election fraud because they move on to some new piece of, of evidence. So it's like, I don't know, they believe it because Trump says it, or they believe it because believing it leads them to reach the conclusions they want to reach. Right. Which is that Trump should stay and we should find a way to keep him, mm. right? Like, it's not about what's true. It's about like, how can we build an argument for the conclusion that Trump should be president despite losing an election? How do we bridge the gap? Like, I mean, how do we, what's the remedy? I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. You know, last year with Obama, with Hillary, or when Hillary lost you know, there's there's always been a friction, a growing friction, but now it's like, like you said, it's like different sets of reality. I mean, how do you bridge that? I just don't, I don't see how to <clears throat> overcome this. Maybe it's just something that over time kind of goes away, like, you know, McCarthyism and there's there's been eras in, in human history where shit just, you know, kind of disappears. Maybe when Trump finally leaves, it all kind of just fade away. Do you think it will fade away or is it something that's not going to go away? I wish I thought it would fade away, but I don't. Um, I'm I'm really worried about this country, to be honest. Like, I think, um, you know, I think that things have always been, you know, it's easy to forget that, that there's always been these tensions. Like, I mean, this country had a civil war, what, 100 and, uh, you know, 50 some, 70, I guess, 170 now years ago. And um, it's kind of... Uh, it kind of never stopped, you know, right. like that, that, that some of these conflicts like never really resolved, like, especially conflicts about like, what is America's relationship with race, for example, like that's kind of an open question. It's never really been resolved. And I think that, um, you know, the tensions kind of builds these critical points and, and it sometimes eases a little bit, but it's always there. Um, but yeah, I do worry that it's it's gotten to such a point of division that there's not really much communication across the aisle. And it's like, it's, it's kind of hard to see a way out of this that doesn't involve violence in some way. Now, I hope, because I, I really hate that. Um, I don't know. I'm some, I'm very averse to the idea of violence. I know like on on. on political internet, it's kind of become like a fashionable lately to like fantasize happily about like the guillotine and revolutions and, and all this. And it's like, that's like such a bad thing to have to do though. It's what I feel like people don't realize. Like if you have like, if you have to solve political crisis in your country with like a oh, civil war, that's like the worst possible thing that can happen. It'll ruin like decades of all of our lives and a bunch of people will die. Like, let's not do that. But I don't know. To me, I think it's about, it's about like reaching out, not to like a diehard Trump supporters, but like to like people who are kind of like, 
not necessarily because most people I don't think are super involved in politics. And you can kind of like, like Trump is, is doing things now that are very, very like outside all norms that we've ever had for this country. Like, like he ba- you know, basically is like, you know, out, basically has decided to reject, you know, the norms that make democracy possible. So I think that you can appeal to a lot of people by just being like, look, like this is not how things work in this country. Like we have always, you know, this country was founded by people who wanted to show Europe that a democracy could work or a republic could work anyway. And like, that means peaceful transfer of power. And if you are out here saying like, oh, we'll see if I leave, if I lose the election. I don't know about that. I'll think about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty dangerous attack on like, what is kind of the most basic principle of, you know, how this country is supposed to run, not by a dynastic, you know, family, not a heiress, not a king, not an aristocrat, but like by elections. That's how we're supposed to choose power. And if you reject elections, then it's like you're kind of rejecting like what is the basis of America. And I feel like that is something that most people in this country will ultimately kind of, they will reject someone who uh, attacks democracy in that way. But there's plenty of people who won't. And it's also, it's, it's definitely a scary situation. Yeah, I feel like he found a way around it because he said he, he's not <clears throat> he convinced people he's not attacking democracy. He's just he just got it was a fraud. They they're the ones attacking democracy. But that's kind of like the propagandist playbook. It's like you're not doing what I'm doing. I'm not doing what I'm doing. You're doing what I'm doing. But and, and you how, just yeah. How do you fight a civil war though? Like how is that even logistically possible in the United States now? Like back then they had yeah. cannons and muskets and shit and like everything was kind of drawn out in a way where it's like north versus south or there was some kind of definable line but like how was a civil war even possible to be fought in the united states without like total annihilation and like whoever's the sitting president the party how can anybody reasonably rise up like a bunch of dudes like with with some you know our home arsenals is not there's not going to be you know what i mean like versus the government it's it really just depends who's who's currently the president, I think, if it came to that level of violence. Yeah, it's hard for me to say. And again, like you would really have to kind of ask someone who's like an expert on the military. All I can give you are my like dark, twisted fantasies. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I imagine like like the nightmare scenario is you've got like cavalcades of like Trump SUVs, like roaring up I-95, waving guns. And then just like, I don't know, Antifa, kind of like roadside bombs going off. <laughs> oh, and like, like, I don't know. <clears throat> right. Why yeah. is that so easy to imagine? Like, I, I guess at, at some point, obviously, like the, the military would be called in, there'd be tanks on the highways and like, uh, I don't know. So, so it's a kind of question of like, where is the military's loyalty going to lie? Um, I actually think that, especially with Biden having one, I don't think the military will defend a Trump coup attempt. Like, even if he is claiming that they- Did you think they the, would before? I wasn't, I didn't really think before. I didn't think so either. Yeah. Um, it was more a question of like, oh, is he going to be able to do it without like violence? You know, the question is like, oh, is he going to be able to persuade enough people <clears throat> to, to go along with this, like the election is a fraud line um, that he's able to kind of like overturn the results of the election. That's more what I was worried about. Hmm. Um but I can't imagine, I don't know, like without having like total war, like I can still imagine a period of like frequent like skirmishes, we could say. Yeah. Like we kind of had all year, honestly, like with, with the clashes between protesters and, and riot police. Just with guns this time. Yeah, with guns. I mean, there, there's already kind of guns. There's Kyle Rittenhouse. There's, uh, you know, people driving cars, vans into crowds. There's police firing, you know, 
tear gas at pro like it's 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 escalated pretty far already what is the deal with this kyle rittenhouse what am i missing about this dude he drove from out of state <clears throat> he murdered two protesters and now the my pillow guys is bailing him out literally my pillow guys put up two million dollars bail for him but what am that. I missing? What? How is this not clearly murder? Well, it is clearly murder, but I think people, like, I think the people who support him think that it's, like, justified murder because they see it as, like, I mean, and again, it sort of tracks some of Trump's rhetoric, right? Like, if these Democratic mayors won't keep their cities under, under control, then, like, we're going to send in the, the, the military and do it. And I think the people who admire Kyle Rittenhouse, they think of him as this, like, hero of, like, law and order who's, mm -hmm. like, there to suppress the, like, unruly protests, right? Because their whole this whole law and order line has been about, like, oh— the real problem with this country is these these crazy leftist rioters, these looters, these, you know, we, we need to basically set, dominate them, right? That's what Trump, Trump was saying. He was, he was doing like Palpatine tweets, you know, just tweeting like domination and power in all caps. It was like <laughs> coconuts. So it, it, it was doing this back in July. Like, I was like, this feels I like- I feel so powerful. Yeah, not good. And like, and I guess- he was, yeah, he was giving off Palpatine vibes for sure. Yeah. Especially so post-COVID yeah. with all the steroids. For Yeah. And I think that people see Rittenhouse as like, you know, the vigilante version of this. It's a kind of weird, but it's like so nonsensical, right? Because on the one hand, you're saying, oh, law and order, law and order. That's what we care about is law and order. But on the other hand, you're saying, oh, it's great that vigilantes <laughs> with guns are breaking the law by shooting people, Right. If it's in the service of what their idea of law and order is, right. which is, I mean, to, like it's like what Martin Luther King said about like, uh, you know, peace without justice. Like that's what that's what they want. They want, uh, they don't want justice. They want a peace that's founded on people simply like keeping quiet. Do you? <clears throat> what do you think the left is doing wrong? Because like, you have what essentially is a bunch of rural working class people who are very who are probably for the most part very poor who are coming out in droves to support a guy who's has a apartment on the first floor of a manhattan penthouse that's literally plated in gold and probably shits in a gold toilet so how the fuck is this guy able to become the working class hero and the left is unable to get any of these people's votes like what 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 is the left failing so desperately at well, I have a couple of thoughts about that. One of them is that I think that a lot of Trump's like a lot of, you know, for instance, the counter protesters with guns that we're talking about, these people are not the like poor working class. Like weapons are expensive. Like you don't form a militia like on a, on a, on a, oh, on a you know. Apparently yeah. Rittenhouse used his stimulus check to buy the <laughs> right. weapon. So this was the socialized weapons purchase. Yeah, yeah. It's fabulous. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that's a real puzzle though, isn't it though? Like why do like white people who are not like upper class at all, why do they see this like Vegas like-esque, like walking like gold toilet of a man? Like why do they see him as like some kind of working he class? He doesn't here? care well, about them. He doesn't yeah. know anything about them. Yeah, he wouldn't he hang out with care. them. You know, it's like the yeah. dude spends all of his time on these ultra luxury golf golf courses like the dude wouldn't fucking ever golf with you he doesn't care about you he never wants to hang out with you he, he fucking never he's never known anybody like you like he's literally a big town 
ultra rich dude like right the height of like new york elitist like rich father like yeah well i think i think that these i think these people know that like i think they're not dumb like they know that trump doesn't represent them and that trump doesn't really that 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 trump on some level doesn't really care about them but i i think that for, for some of them anyway what it seems to be is it's it's almost like trolling they like trump because he pisses off the like the big media liberal types who who don't represent them. And he pisses off what they see as the the establishment, right? I mean, I think and, that's true of some people on Twitter, right? But like, yeah. I'm talking about like rural people that don't use Twitter. They just, mm-hmm. and like, if you drive through, if you drive through, you know, cross country, all these states in the, in the middle that are red is just Trump, Trump, Trump signs, MAGA everywhere. These people don't go on Twitter, like, but they, but they love, Trump. And it's not about Trump. They, they're not trying to make libs cry. They just love Trump. Well, I think, um, I think there is like still, even with like the West, you know, Pennsylvania type people, like there is still this sense. I mean, this is like an old kind of like historic resentment in the U S like along the East coast. I know like the Western part of all these States, the Carolinas, Virginia, um, Pennsylvania, like, there's this like longstanding resentment of the East, right? All these states have capitals along the East and the East is seen as cosmopolitan, as urban, as elitist, and as kind of almost like an oppressor, right? Of their way of life. It doesn't represent them. And so I think, uh, I think it's kind of an enemy of my enemy situation where they know that Trump isn't one of them, but they do like, even if you're not on Twitter, like, Trump pisses off the people on CNN, for example, mm. and they like that, right. right? They kind of like that he's like a middle finger to like political correctness and to, um, this is how they see it, of course, right? Is he actually, a, you know, I don't know. But th- I, I feel like that, <clears throat> that's just, this is, it's this so is what odd they to me see. Because like the democratic platform is a platform that would directly help them. The Republican platform is a platform that would directly helps wealthier people so it's like everybody's voting against their own interests somehow yeah well i I think um i think it's like a very dark mindset that leads these people to vote for trump like i think on some level they're not expecting things to get better they and and it's almost a kind of nihilism that's set in it's like well you know at least we're gonna like you know let's just burn it down almost I, Mm. i think some people have that kind of attitude where um, you know, I think they think, oh, maybe the Democrats will will help them with like healthcare and things, but they know the Democrats aren't going to bring back like coal jobs or manufacturing jobs. And there's this sense, I guess, of like loss of like pride and loss of dignity, loss of, and loss of like, obviously like financial stand, standing as well. Um, not wanting just like what they see as like sympathy handouts, um, you know, socialism, but wanting like, I don't know, this like America first rhetoric, I guess, appeals to them. People want to feel like the winner. People want to, you know, the, I guess people, a lot of these people will attribute like sending jobs to China, for instance, for like taking away the industries that used to thrive where they live. I mean, and to some extent that's true, but a lot of it's also automation. So it's, you know, it's not just that. And, but I think that's, you know, Trump's, you know, China rhetoric rhetoric kind of connects about that with, in that way. But, you know, you'd think four years later when manufacturing has not in fact returned yeah. and, and like you would think that, <clears throat> they would start to get disillusioned with Trump. So I don't know. It is kind of, uh, uh, I mean, someone really should do 
I'm sure people, there's people who do this. I should seek this out. People who do like interviews go across the country and, and ask Trump supporters, like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, they're, well, ask All Gas No Breaks is kind of yeah. doing a pretty yeah, good yeah, job yeah. of that. Yeah, All Gas No Breaks. Hey, yeah. He's the one who told me, like, dude, he told me before the election, like, Trump is definitely going to win because I travel all around the country mm-hmm. and everybody's maggot out. So he was pretty confident that Trump was going to win. When, but, but apparently he's got something coming out that should be really good. That's pretty much exactly what you just said. Hmm. But I'm kind of, I'm more curious, I'm very curious about uh, you as a person, if I can switch gears a little bit. Sure. Um, <clears throat> where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in a suburb of Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia. Oh, um, Washington, D.C. Yeah. Is your is your family um, in politics? No, they're not. Um, <clears throat> although many people in D.C. are. I knew like a lot, when I was growing up, you know, I knew a lot of people who were like the children <clears throat> of like lobbyists or right. the NRA, for example, which is in, in Northern Virginia. Um did that but, uh, form no. your like being and do you think being around politics like that formed your kind of worldview as an adult? Well, it was, I think probably to some extent, like it was definitely like very often discussed growing mm-hmm. up. Like it's something that's on a lot of people's mind. You know, I was in middle school when 9-11 happened and a lot of, I just remember the ki- other kids crying in school because their parents worked at the Pentagon oh, and shit. they just yeah. heard that flames wow. flew into the Pentagon. Like, so it it, it is kind of like, uh, it, it is very much on people's minds there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know to what extent that like necessarily influenced me now, except that it is, it's made me sort of, I remember thinking about politics as early as, as being a kid. Yeah. What do your parents do for a living or, or do they share your, your politics as well? Uh, well, my, my mom's a medical doctor and, uh, my dad's a college professor and they are they are uh, both uh, Democrats. <laughs> um, I would say that I'm. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't really talk talk politics for them, so I don't want to speak for them. But but, but the, I, I feel like I'm maybe a little bit a little bit to the left of them in the way that like you know it's it's most young people have an obligation I think to be a little more left to the, of their parents. <laughs> right. But but um yeah no it's not it's not like I was raised in like I, I don't come from a conservative family. Your your um your college days kind of interest me because you were going for a PhD in philosophy, right? Yeah, that's right. And then so you just I, mm, you bounced out. Existential yeah. boredom, I think you described it as. Yeah, yeah. I really could not stand graduate school. Like I, I don't know. I, I liked. Um, well, I guess when I was in high school, I was I, I almost failed out of high school. I was a terrible student. Really. Um, yeah. Well, I, when I was in high school, I kind of, all I cared about was music. Like I played, you know, a f- several instruments and I just wanted to play music all the time. I was, I had a hard adolescence. I was very angsty and like, I mm. dealt with that by playing music. So I, I actually tried to drop out of high school, but the, you know, my, my parents and the school was kind of like, no, you're not doing that. But they kind of like made a, a deal with me where they let me take like music classes in high school. Um, and, and so I managed to get a high school degree that way. Uh, I, I spent two years at a music college, Berkeley College of Music in Boston as a piano student hmm. when I graduated high school. What then was, I switched, you know. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. Like, ask, the, ask this question now because I'm about to move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering what was so tough about your high school that you were, you know, about to drop out of high school? Um, I think I was just, I, w- I was just very depressed as really? a teenager. Yeah. Uh, I was just having a hard time of it. And I dealt with that by kind of retreating into music. I didn't want to think of anything else. I didn't want to, th- I didn't want to take 
math classes. I just wasn't having it. <clears throat> Were um, you like confused about your gender identity back in high school? Was that part of the depression or is it something else? I think there's some of that. I think that I, it's, it's hard exactly to, to say how much is what in mm. retrospect, you know what I mean? Like how much is this like gender angst that everyone says gets worse in adolescence? How much of it is, um, I don't know, like clinical, like depression, mm. um, which I was like treated for pretty ex extensively at the time. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of like psychiatry growing up. Um, you know, my, my parents being in, uh, my dad's a psychology professor, my mom's a doctor. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I mean, I started taking Adderall when I was like eight years old, <laughs> like, like that kind of, that kind of a childhood, you know? I see, you know, does having, does having doctors and, and psych, your dad's a psychiatrist or a, or like a no, therapist? No, he's an academic, he's an academic psychologist, oh, okay. but like, but both my parents, I think they kind of felt like, a little bit qualified to like have like mental health judgments about their kids. <laughs> yeah. What does that, what do you think about that growing up with parents who feel like they, they can have this kind of, they, they feel like they can, you know, diagnose you to some extent. Is that, is yeah. that. Well, that was very much my experience. Uh, and some of the things I think they got right. Some things I think they got wrong. Um, like I was kind of, well, they got right as the, the like the depression stuff like that. That was real. But I think I was like misdiagnosed as like OCD. Hmm. Um, and if you go back and like look at a lot of the things they were complaining about, they were c calling me OCD rituals. They were like, oh, because so. I was, a, I was a boy at the time, uh, um, just in case people didn't pick that up. Uh, you know, they were, at the time that this psychiatrist would be like, oh, like he spends too long with his hair. Like he spends too mm. long, like there's too much grooming. There's too much concern for mm. like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, with this, I feel like that would not be seen as a psychiatric symptom if I had been born a girl, you know? Mm. No. So I, yeah. Yeah. I'm I feel surprised like that's, it was though, even, even if you were a boy, it, it seems like a stretch. It was, it was too much. Yeah. There was too much. There was, it was a little bit too much psychiatry going on for but, sure. You know, I, I have a, a member of my family who's younger, who was also prescribed Adderall at a young age, like similar years. And I, I always felt like I, I personally was never comfortable with it. And I, I saw how, how she behaved when she was on it and always maybe like I've taken Adderall. I mean, it's not, it's yeah. by no means a, a, a negligible drug. I mean, you could get oh, fucked yeah. up on that drug. I mean, I take it now sometimes, but it's, 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 it is speed. Like, like, yeah, it's, no, like it, you're it getting like, you up. it kind of fucks you up. You're, yeah. you're wired as fuck. Like yeah. it's, 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 a, it's more than coffee. Like it's, uh, oh, it's, it's yeah. It's like kind of wild to me that I, I was taking this when I was eight. So I, yeah, I mean, looking back, what, what's your opinion on that? Cause like I said, it's just, I can't imagine to, it, to me, it seems like a hard drug. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even a soft yeah, drug. Yeah. Well, I don't want to blame my parents too much because I think that they like their heart was in the right place. They thought they were doing the right thing, mm -hmm. but I do think I was over <clears throat> diagnosed and over medicated as mm. a kid and as a teenager. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a tough situation. You yeah. know, it's funny. Cause you, you, when you look at these kinds of movies like garden garden state, was it? Yeah. yeah. And his dad, or I forget the exact details, but there's kind of a trope about the parent who's the psychiatrist or therapist or whatever, always mm -hmm. diagnosing their kids and giving them drugs and fucking them up in that way. 
Yeah, I think that the movies like that like tend to probably go too a little too far in the other direction as in terms of being like psychiatry is bad, like throw your pills away, you don't need them. Like that's because true. obviously that, like, that was kind things, of the, the yeah. wasn't that like the ending of Garden State? Where <laughs> it's like, Garden State, yeah. yeah. Like I feel like that's like too that's taking things too far. Like because obviously like these drugs, I don't know, it does help a lot of people. But I do think that especially with kids, like it's a little bit wild. I don't know. Are kids supposed to like are children like naturally I don't know. I feel like that genetically we're not made to like sit in a room still for nine hours and not move and not mess with our hair and not, you know what I mean? Like that's so, that's not a medical problem. That's just a, a kind of social expectation that we thrust on eight-year-olds that we then try to fix them with drugs. And it's like. I I totally agree. I mean, looking back, I, I don't know how I made it through those years, like waking up at five in the morning, getting on a bus, doing like, these are things today that I would rather die than do on a regular basis, yeah. pretty much. Oh, and yeah, no, I think <laughs> like the amount of hustle it takes to be a kid to wake your ass up that early, spend a whole fucking day sitting in a desk, come home, do homework, probably not getting enough sleep too. you know, it's yeah. it's it's brutal. The regiment that they could take. So yeah, I think like school used to say it was like seven twenty. School starts at seven twenty. Like mm-hmm. that. That's when I was in high school. Like <clears throat> I don't, that's so I don't, early. I, yeah, I think I can count on one hand like the amount of times in my adult life that I've gotten up for something at seven twenty. Like exactly. Part of that's that I've organized my life so that I don't have to. <clears throat> but me but, too. You know, I feel like my yeah. whole, my whole. Um, trajectory and in, into adulthood was the simple objective of never having to wake up to an alarm clock yeah. ever again yeah i definitely had that like i used to have like nightmares that i would end up with an office job i feel like that motivated me in a lot of ways like to to you know i tried to try all this stuff to, before finding something that actually worked as an alternative to that but mm. but yeah i just really didn't want that for myself and so i basically my 20s was a series of attempts to to not have to wake up before 10 a.m. So what other what other jobs did you attempt? Well, I guess I, I when I I mentioned going to music school, um, I dropped out after two years because I like at the time I just felt I came to feel that I just didn't have what it takes to be a professional musician. And retrospect, I quit way too soon because mm-hmm. I think at the time I was thinking like I was like yeah I'm okay at piano, but there's like. 14 year olds who are way better than me so Mm. fuck it i'm out like but in retrospect i was like 20 years old like shut up baby is what i want to say like looking back like you can do like you from 20 you can do almost anything with your life yeah um but i I was i don't know i also was getting curious about other things like at the time i was starting to watch youtube back then um and i watched like all these like um like atheist youtubers oh yeah i remember that um, era. well yeah i'm sure i'm sure a lot of us remember like i'm talking 2009 what do they 2010 call that? The, um, there was a name for the click it was like the uh youtube atheist movement like youtube skeptics skeptics yeah the skeptics, yeah, skeptics. yeah. so i used to watch that kind <laughs> yeah, of content and i uh, i guess honestly that played some role in like getting me interested in philosophy i was like oh like uh you know I, I I I guess I got sort of interested in that, and I was like, oh, maybe I should actually go to maybe I should actually go to back to school and like go to like a school and like you know learn about that instead of doing this music thing. So I kind of went to community college for a year. I uh, I worked as a, an assistant in a neuroscience lab, hmm. and 
I went to, um, then I transferred and I, uh, to Georgetown where I got, um, I got my undergraduate double major in philosophy and psychology. I worked really hard at that because I think I was trying to like compensate for the fact that I was so bad at being a student in high school. Like I was like, no, I'm going to show that like I, so I had like, I, I graduated like Georgetown, like, like, I don't know, 4. Sorry, like 3.5 or 3.6 or something GP. Like, like I was getting like, like straight A's some semesters. I was, I was such a little try hard. <laughs> um, I think as I felt like I had something to prove. <clears throat> yeah. So at what point, I know you like, you transitioned hmm. kind of, or what age were you? You were a little bit later in, like, yeah, in your late 20s or something. I mean, I transitioned basically on YouTube. Like hmm. I started when I was 28. Um, so and, I, I want to, yeah. um, I, I personally don't, I don't think I know any trans people personally. So I want to hmm. ask you questions about this, but part of me is like, I'm afraid to talk to you about it in a way because... I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing and then getting canceled on Twitter. <laughs> okay, you know well, I mean? I'm not gonna. I won't. I won't cancel you. <clears throat> I, won't, I won't cancel you on Twitter. <laughs> but I'm being. But I'm. You're afraid that other people will. Yeah, yeah. But I. Well, but I, I. I'm. You know. I've, I'll. Yeah. But you do you know what I mean. Like I, I feel like people maybe are afraid to even talk about the issue because it's so it's so sensitive and it's kind of like a new issue socially too, if I can even say that. Well, it's not a new issue, but it's people's awareness of it on a That's large scale mean, is kind of, of new. Yeah. yeah. If I can like, just. Um, I mean, like, there's, I mean, I guess there's been times in history when people have become aware of it again. Like hmm. in the 50s, there's a, a trans woman called Christine Jorgensen who I guess transitioned in the, and like had all these surgeries in, I think, Denmark. And like she was in all like the American newspapers and like it became sort of a famous thing. But uh, yeah, it's a kind of, I guess it's, at, it's definitely at a new level, like where it's in terms of people's awareness of this. Um, and part of that's that traditionally, like what trans people do basically is try not to be seen, basically. Mm. Um, there's always this sense that like, if you actually want to transition and live a life in a new gender, like you need to like, you need to change your name, you need to move cities, you need to cut all ties, mm. you need to not tell anyone that you're transgender, basically. Um, and I feel like what's happened in the last couple of decades is, is we've kind of decided that that's actually a kind of like very repressed existence. And like, we should be able to be open about who we are and we should be able to talk openly about these experiences. So you have, um, you know, a lot of, of more trans people sort of who are willing to do that, um, which of course comes at a cost to us because a lot of people are not like very sympathetic to trans people. Right. So if people know that you're trans, like, they're going to be an asshole about it. So that's, you know, that, that's, that's a trade-off. You're being honest, but now you have, you know, now you have to deal with the consequences of that honesty. Yeah, it seems, it seems like a very shameful thing, like you described before, like you have yeah. to move to a new city and all this. Yeah. And um, does it, do you feel, did you feel when you started to become, well, let me step back. Like, when did you first yeah. start becoming, like, confused about your gender, let's say? Or well, maybe, I don't I even have, know if confused yeah. is the right word. It's a difficult thing to describe. I mean, I had um, I had feelings about sort of b gender, I guess, mismatch, I guess we could say since like childhood. Mm. I guess it became more of a thing in adolescence where I, I don't know. I, 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 so I, I mean, I was, I was attracted to women when I was um, a boy, but I guess 
which is unlike some trans women who live as gay men first. But I guess I would say I never wanted to be a man to a woman. And mm. I have this kind of, uh, you know, I can remember sort of, rep- I, I'm a, I, I, I think there's something inherently kind of feminine about me. I remember sort of training my voice to sound more masculine, to sound more mm. like, to, to, be able, to be able basically to um, not be like noticeably like, feminine as a boy, mm. um, which sometimes I, w- I was doing more successfully than other times. Um, I guess I didn't really have um, trans, like I didn't sort of know what being trans was until my twenties. I think I sort of, I sort of vaguely was aware of it, but it wasn't, it was, it's not an attractive thing is what it seemed like to me. Mm. Cause you know, when you see it in media, you see it, like, we're talking about the early 2000s, like it's not, so, you know, it's like, you know, Brian vomiting on in Family Guy or whatever. Like, it's not like you don't see that on TV and you're like, oh, I want to be that. Like, I want to <laughs> be that. I want to be that like dead sex worker in SVU. That's my future. That's like, how you thought it, about it. It's hard to identify with that. So mm. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Like, mm. I, I guess in my twenties, um, you know, I used to like cross-dress in bars and like, like, mm. like I was doing like, like these, these things that I sort of didn't really have a great explanation about why I was doing them. But the thing is, um, so like yeah. you, you're attracted to females. So when yeah. you cross-dressed into a bar, you weren't looking to pick up guys. You were just wanting to feel the experience of being a female. Yes. Hmm. And I guess I did like, I, I guess I did sort of, en- I don't know, p- people would sort of pay attention to me as a joke, I guess, like men would buy me drinks and things. I would sort of enjoy this. I, uh, it's hard for me to think back on, on this stuff because it's like, you kind of just like, I kind of just like repress this stuff now because I just like don't want to think about it. But I, you know. Why, you find it embarrassing or? Yeah, like, I find it. Em- feel? I find it em- I, like shameful, I guess. Oh. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I kind of struggle with that a lot. Like um, I... Because it's it's cringe, <laughs> like yeah, I, it's cringe to have yourself to like not figured yourself out to such an extent that you're like you're doing things that are sort of baby steps in the direction of like what's eventually going to be your social identity, but in this really like awkward way. But can you forgive yourself for doing that in the in in the fact that you were kind of just desperately trying to figure out what you were going to go through? To I, me, it doesn't seem cringy. It seems like. Someone who's trying to, you know, figure out their identity one way or the other, who doesn't know yeah. what's going on. I think that would be the psychologically healthy way to, to do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, th- um, I don't find that embarrassing. I, if, if anything, if I could, I, I think it's incredibly brave to do that. I would be scared to do something like that. Well, I used to, ju- I used to, I used to just be like blackout drunk when I was down. <laughs> that's, that's another. But, but even still, it's like yeah. to, to have the courage to go do that and to try to express yourself like that is, is scary. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah, it was scary. Uh, and, and it was scary to me. Um, I, I kind of, um, would, would it would go through these <clears throat> stages of like being more brave about it and then being a coward. Like <clears throat> I, um, I know for, for, there was a while in my mid twenties when I was basically like, I was presenting as this kind of like gender fucked, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe, I guess we call it like gender queer now, but basically mm. I, I was like, I was like only shopping in the women's section for, for, for one year. Right. And like, you know, I wasn't being perceived as a woman. I wasn't identifying as a woman. I was still using like a male name, mm. but like my nails were painted. I was wearing jewelry and like, I was mm. kind of okay with that for a while. Um, but 
I just kind of, the, the, like, again, it's like, there's this like shame and I was like, no, 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 this is crazy. Like I, I was also very judgmental of other, um, like gender non-conforming people, I guess. That's another, like, so something that's true, I think for a lot of LGBT people is that like a lot of us go through a stage where not only do we want to pass as normal, but we also kind of participate ourselves in the homophobia or the transphobia mm. and bigotry. Like, and this is not, this is like another, th- I'm not, I'm definitely not proud of this, but like I used to, I was like grossed out by other people like me, mm. you know what I mean? And there is a sense of like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give into this. I wouldn't have called it degeneracy. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have said that explicitly, but I felt it, you know? When you say people like me, you mean like people who were fully transitioned or people who were like kind of cross-dressing? People who are gender non-conforming in a like Just really- everybody yeah. in that broad category. I would say especially people who are sort of assigned male, but who are presenting in like an ambiguous way. Huh. Like- I can remember being in Chicago where I was kind of being like, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, at the time I would probably choose to call myself like a full-time cross-dresser, which sounds like in, in retrospect, I have to like shake my head at this, like a full-time cross-dresser. Are you listening to yourself? Like, <laughs> but like, but like, but like, I remember seeing like, seeing like a trans woman on the, like the L in Chicago, the train and just being like, nope. Like I can, that's, I can't handle this. I can't be that. I don't want to look like that. that You thought was so like that you hated so much. What was it that you saw? I saw, um, I guess it it was a person who I saw sort of a freak, basically Hmm. like a deviant, abnormal, someone possibly delusional. Does this person think Mm -hmm. they look like a woman? Well, they don't. And I can tell that everyone can tell that I don't want to be this delusional, crazy person. It was, it was the issue of, can you pass as a woman for real? It's kind of holding a mirror up to yourself and your deepest fears about if you could actually pass. Well, I think, yeah, I think you just kind of, you just kind of nailed it because I I think that, that there's a lot of different reasons why people cross dress. In my case, it was because of this gender dysphoria that I didn't have, like I wasn't quite being honest with yet because the truth is that I wanted to pass and mm-hmm. I've, and I've always kind of, that's always been something I kind of cared about. And I was kind of like, but I didn't think that I could. And at the time I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the the skills to. Um, and so when I saw other, you know, either trans women or you know, however they were defined, I guess probably trans women who didn't pass. I kind of saw like, Oh, that's me. Like, that's what I look like. That's, and it's wrong. I don't want to be that. Um, which I think is probably one reason why, like, once I actually started my medical transition, I like, I did kind of prioritize being able to pass as female because it's, you know, I guess this is kind of, this is an ugly thing. Like I don't endorse this at all. Like, like we absolutely as a society, like need to be kinder to people who are presenting ambiguously. Mm. But I guess I myself internalized that to the point that I was like horrified by the idea that I would be presenting as like a man in a dress, for example. Mm-hmm. It's such a hard thing to do though. Cause like, like I said, it's, it takes so much courage to first go out into the world like that. Cause you know, there's so much attention on you and so many people judging you. Yeah. And then you, something so painful inside of you has to be pushing you to do that. So it's kind of like you're getting shit internally and externally. Um, I always hear about people who are dealing with gender dysphoria. Is gender dysphoria like a good way to say it? Because I, I I don't know if trans people use that or because I've heard people who like are against trans who think like you shouldn't be yeah. trans use that term to just dismiss it as like, oh, it's just a mental illness. But 
Well, you yeah, use that well, term. It, hmm. Yeah, it's still kind of like a medical term, gender dysphoria, which just describes like basically like distress hmm. at being in some way feeling like you're not the right gen- either you're living in the wrong gender role, your body is wrong, like uh you know, it can take a lot of different forms. Um I think that uh, this is like, it's an accepted notion in, in the trans community that this is a thing that exists. Mm. Um, there's like a lot of debate about like, oh, do you need dysphoria to be trans? Uh, that gets really complicated. Uh, I, I won't go into that, but like, I think that for me, like, yeah, there was this always this like, this sense of kind of like existential, almost like wrongness about the way I was living and this longing to, I guess, to get out of it and overcome it. But at the same time, it took me a long time to understand that that was something I could actually do. Hmm. Um, and I guess what eventually really helped me was YouTube and seeing other people do it hmm. made it more like real. Cause it kind of seems like magic when you don't know how to, how trans people transition. Like right. it's, Interesting. it's, it's hard to imagine doing it yourself hmm. until you see like someone do it. I guess the thing about gender dysphoria that I was getting to is like, I guess people who suffer, or I don't know if you say suffer, but who have gender dysphoria mm-hmm. tend to be having higher, higher suicide rates, more depression, more anxiety. Is that true as far as you know? That's true, right? Yes, it is. It's true that trans people have um, very, very high rates of, of, of suicide, attempted suicide, depression. Um, and I think that's mix a mix of things. Like one is that, uh, the condition of being trans for a lot of people is itself quite, um, you know, it's complicated and painful, but a lot of it is that like the society that we live in, like really piles on top of that, a lot of unnecessary mm-hmm. hate and discomfort and, and difficulty and shame. And that is a, I think a huge contributing factor also. I think so too. Cause mm-hmm. if, I think if you look back at homosexual, when homosexuality was kind of characterized as some kind of deviant uh, mental illness. I mean, it was considered a mental illness not that long ago. Yeah, until the 70s, yeah. And so I think if you look back, you probably see similarly high suicide rates and depression and anxiety amongst them, you know? That's what you would, yeah. So it is a societal thing because society is meant meant to make you feel like what you're doing and what you're feeling is, is wrong. And, 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 and then, well, even more than that, in my opinion, is it's instilling you and you a feeling of wanting to fight yourself, which is always kind of like the most damaging thing one can do to themselves. Yeah, it's that that's and I think that really accounts for a lot of the um, the kind of the, 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 the depression and shame and suicidality is that you come to basically be an accomplice of your own oppressor, oppressors, right? right? Yeah. In terms of beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. And that's like something that's that's definitely been a consistent thing in my life. So now that you've kind of, how, how many years into your transition are you? Uh, medically, three and a half. Okay. Um, so I've been, I've been I'm doing this full time for, for three and a half years. By the way, I'm curious, you, you considered it magic. So now that I'm kind of on the other side of doing mm-hmm. this medically for three years, like, what kind of medicine do you take and how, what was the process like in, in the, you know, onset or, well, first of all, was there anything that made you decide like, okay, I'm just going to do this? Well, I think that I, I had, I started this YouTube channel in 2016 and like the persona, I decided, you know what, I'm just doing this, this channel in drag basically mm. because I, I had reached a point where I was like, as a kind of like a, fuck it moment in my life where I was like, well, 
like not I'm 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 27 or 28 years old. Nothing I've done so far has succeeded. Like at this point, why hide this part of myself? You know, like what do I have to lose? Basically, was the thought. So, uh, you know, but but YouTube gave me a. Um, I mean, it really did give me a way to get more and more like comfortable, sort of feeling out my femme self. Mm. Like because I, I guess initially I would kind of play it off almost as a joke. Um, that's in, that's, in, that's in a way you kind of it's uh, evade sort of the worst of the danger of it. Like, oh, this is, you know, or, or like a it's part a of the persona, yeah, part of the persona, character. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I kind of realized that like, I'm using this persona to be myself. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, I I guess it I, I couldn't sort of imagine going back again. And I had I guess before I came out as like a trans woman I came out as a like gender queer so that basically that meant I was like not a man not a woman I don't know what I am basically I mean okay I shouldn't say that because some people some people who identify as gender queer that that they do know who they are that's who they are they've spent years figuring it out and they're comfortable with that they're comfortable existing in this kind in this non-binary gender space um in my case, I wasn't really comfortable with that. Hmm. I, that was just a stepping stone on the way to figuring out that I just wanted to transition, you know? Um, and and I think it also uh, helps that I kind of met a lot of trans people through, because um, like trans people c- could kind of tell that I was like what's called an egg. That's a, like in the term for the trans community, it means like a trans person hasn't hatched yet. Hmm. Like a trans person hmm. who's like, going through a lot of the like dysphoria or gender nonconformity or the the kinds of like precursors that are sometimes a transition, but who hasn't like yet realized th- this thing about themselves. Mm. Um, a lot of trans people could, could see that in me. And, and so I, it's it sort of became friends with some of these people and I learned about their stories. I learned how they did it, um, how they transitioned. And, and that's kind of how I was able to find out what to do basically. Mm. And so what did you do? Did you, do you go to like a doc? Like, is there a special yeah. specialty doctor that you start seeing? Well, what I did initially is I started taking black market hormones. So, so I started ordering, um, I guess it's called the gray market. Because basically you're ordering overseas prescription hormones. Hmm. Um, so it's, t- it's two things that you start taking if, you, if you're MTF, male to female. One is um, a testosterone, block, an anti-androgen. So hmm. it blocks the testosterone. It, 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 lower, it lowers your blood level of testosterone down to like a biological female level. Hmm. Um, and then the other thing you take is, is estrogen, which raises your estrogen levels to a biological female level. Is, and, there, is there any danger mm-hmm. in lowering your, uh, like you're, you were born a man. I, I don't yeah. know the biology, but I know like in, in men, adult men whose um, testosterone goes super low, it can cause like medical complications. Do you experience stuff like that? Well, it is important. You have to have some kind of sex hormones in your body or it is dangerous. Hmm. So you need either testo- um, testosterone or estrogen. Oh, okay. So if you have estrogen, that kind of fixes some of the problems that happen if you just have oh. very low testosterone. Like, for, um, for instance, like, I know it's, I don't know, it's been a while since I, I learned about the specifics of this, but it's like bad for your bones to like not have any sex hormones or not have high enough levels. Um, it's pretty, like, there's like some side effects of, of doing 
um, you know, testosterone blockers, especially, but it's, for me, it's really, there's really been no significant complications. Mm. Like it changes, it changes more than your body though. Like it changes your moods. It changes your sex drive. Like it changes all kinds of things. Um, you know, gender is not just a social, like it, it is a social construct, but the biological sex is a real thing. And when you change your hormones, it changes a lot of stuff <laughs> with that. That's that really fascinating. Yeah. So you're taking the, the blocker, the, mm -hmm. and you're taking the estrogen. Are you, are these injections? How do you take this? I just take them as a pill. Some people okay. do injections. Injections seem pills. scary, especially yeah. if you're getting shit from like the. That's what I think it. too. Yeah. Is that injections? I, I'm afraid of needles, so I'm like, well, I'll just do pills. <laughs> if you, I, yeah, I didn't know you could do pills. Go pills. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, and so, how? What did you first start feeling like when you're? I'm really curious about. You said that you're having different mm -hmm. moods and sexual drives and all this. I'm really curious about yeah. the differences and the that you started to feel. Well, when you lower your testosterone, I mean, it does what you'd expect. Like it, it makes, it lowers your sex drive um, for sure. Um, and it's, it, I would, um, you know, a lot of people report conflicting things. Some people say uh, that they feel more emotional, that they cry more when you have estrogen. Also, you might be slower to anger. I mean, it's kind of like the opposite of what like steroids would do where you're mm. like raising your testosterone and roid rage or whatever. Mm. Um, I guess... Physically, um, it, it sort of, your skin gets smoother um, and kind of, it, ch it really changes the texture of your skin. It changes the texture of your hair, especially your body mm. hair. You have like less body hair that starts to go away. Uh, you start growing breasts um, and it, it kind of redistributes the fat on your body. So like, whereas men tend to kind of like accumulate more f body fat around the gut, like women will accumulate more of it, like in the hips, mm -hmm. for example. So you sort of notice these changes in the shape of your body. That's, that's amazing. Did it, were you, what yeah. did you feel when you first started knowing this stuff, noticing this stuff? Did it feel like, man, I mean, it's pretty it amazing. Felt like magic. Yeah, it, 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 it is like incredible. So. I mean, it's like, <laughs> It, it's almost kind of annoying to be around someone who's in that early part of transition because it's all they want to talk about. And right. It's definitely all I wanted to talk about. Like it's it's those first few months when you're on hormones, it's like, oh my God, it's it's it it does feel like a miracle. Mm. Like it's it's hard to believe that it's that it's happening. But um I guess I've gotten so I've, I've I've kind of gotten so used to it now that it's like lost that sense of magic. Yeah. But definitely, yeah, when I started it, it seemed like magic. And so now you you have to continue to take these, I'm assuming, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, um, I, I have to continue to take, uh, these basically for the rest of my life. Um, both of them in, until I get, um, with, with what we now usually just call bottom surgery, which used to be called like having a sex change. Mm. But basically if you don't have, I mean, to get really anatomical about it, like if you do not have male gonads, your body is not producing testosterone. Uh, so you, you don't have to take the testosterone blocker anymore. Hmm. So is that kind of, do you have that goal for yourself to get that surgery? I do, yeah. Hmm. And- Just FYI, don't ask trans people about that. I don't oh, care. Really? But uh, a lot of trans people don't want to talk to their, talk about like what surgeries they want to get. Oh, okay. I don't care, so don't worry about it. So I, I apologize. That's the. I guess that was my fear of going into this conversation is that I don't know what- Well, I'd, ra I'd rather you not, I'd rather you, 
talk through this without feeling like you can't ask questions because I feel like, especially when you're doing a podcast, like it's valuable to educate people. About I, this I, stuff. I am super yeah. interested. I, I have no, like I have no firsthand account of any of this stuff. And I, yeah. and my, my intentions are like, I, uh, I, I truly am <laughs> extremely curious and, and I, and super empathetic with your journey. So I hope I'm not offending anyone. No, you, no, you're not, you're not offending me. But I'm curious, so so your so your intention, if you give me permission to ask this question, is yeah. to do you remove, do you remove everything or just the uh, go now? Well, so bottom surgery has gotten very sophisticated for male to female transitions. I mean, what they can do is they can basically create a surgically constructed um, vagina and labia hmm. and clit. <laughs> So, wow. um, yeah, it's very, it's gotten very sophisticated. I mean, they've been doing this, like, like, I guess they first started doing these surgeries in like the 1930s and back then really? it was, yeah, Holy that's shit. when the, that the first one was 1930s. It was very crude back then. Um, but you know, it's been almost a hundred years that the surgeons have been doing this now. So it's gotten very fancy. Like there's, 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 there's versions of it now that are done with robots. Um, mm. and you know, it's, uh, you know, different surgeons have like different methods, but a lot of the people's results now are very good. Like you can, they're sexually functional. You can have orgasms. Mm. Like, um, so it's, it's not, you know, some people think, oh, it's just a wound. You're just creating a hole or like, no, no, it's not that it's, it's much, it's much more sophisticated than that. It, 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 the results, they look pretty, uh, natural and, and they're, they're, pretty functional so your, not, your intention is to do that are, are oh, yeah. what is are you what are you waiting for i guess is my um my well ba basically i have done i had um like facial surgery a year ago mm -hmm. uh, a year and a half ago and that was kind of my my first priority because well i'm a youtuber so you know <laughs> but i think that that surgery was was tough and it's kind of maybe like I need a break before I do more surgery. Tough in what way? Like just painful um, and it's long, painful, you know. difficult, and like kind of terrifying. Like hmm. going into a major surgery is scary. Like the night before, because this is the first time I'd had a major surgery. So the night before, I was like, hmm. you know, it kind of set in. Like, oh god, like tomorrow they're gonna like cut into my face and, and saw my bones down. And it's like that's like in the abstract, you're like, okay, let's do that. But then mm -hmm. when you think about it happening to your skull, you're like. Oh, it makes you, you almost feel faint just thinking. Of, I'm also just squeamish. Like I'm a little baby about this kind of stuff. So, well, and I would imagine that the, the other surgery we just talked about would probably be even a scarier prospect. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a major, major surgery. Yeah, so, you know, the, it, yeah, it takes like a month to, to recover. Um, you know, people, you're on your feet in a couple of weeks. Um, hmm. but, um, yeah. And the other thing is that the wait lists for these things can actually be quite long. So, oh, the waitlist, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of I, there's, there's probably mm -hmm. not a lot of doctors that specialize in that. Is that the issue? Yeah, it's a very specialty thing. I mean, it used to be the case that a lot of girls would go to Thailand to get it done because Ooh. there are these. Um, oh, it's and, common there. There's a lot yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a kind of, um, I guess, a culture of, of sort of, of trans women there and a lot of doctors who catered to it. And so, some of the, you know, for a long time, like the Thai surgeons were actually the best. Hmm. Um, so, you would go there to get it. Was Doctor Suporn was his name? Who's the there's just one guy doing it. One. Yeah, it's just one guy doing it. Just huh. hundreds or thousands of trans women have, have been through this one guy. Um, but a lot of American surgeons have have gotten quite good in the last decade. 
So what what kind of surgery did you have in your face, if I can ask that? I'm kind of curious. What, uh, this was an issue yeah. you to help, because we talked briefly about, like, your wanting to pass as a female. Was this basically to, to make you look more female, the facial surgery? Yes. So... Facial surgery is like it's a con it's kind of a controversial thing, right? Hmm. And that's true even if you're not trans. Like if you have suppose you're a woman and you have like a very angular nose and you get a rhinoplasty to make it more like straight, or there's definitely people who have negative feelings about that hmm. because there's people who say, like, oh, well, you're just trying to replicate this like Eurocentric beauty standard, like and, and, and all this kind of thing, right? So there's definitely like a trans version of this where people say, like, no, like the goal of being trans should not be to look the same as a cis woman. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's ultimately, I think it's a personal choice, right? Some um it's for me, that there was a lot of reasons why I wanted to to have the facial. I can tell you, I can tell you exactly what I, what they did. They kind of um, sort of shaved down my brow bone hmm. so that uh, if you look at like a lot of like people in profile, you notice that on average, men tend to have a more prominent, like stronger brow, hmm. um, and they also kind of narrowed my jaw a little bit. I used to have like a more kind of square chin. It's now pointy um they did uh what's called a trachea shave where basically you it's like a little i have a little scar here where they like basically like um make your adam's apple smaller wow. so it looks more like a, a cis woman's throat um and uh so that, that's what i did and basically it's it's it makes it sort of easier for me to read to people as female. So I used to feel like when I left the house, I felt like I couldn't leave the house without a full face of makeup, mm. you know, like I, cause I was so anxious about like, Oh God, like how are people going to perceive me? Are they going to see me as a woman? Am I going to get clocked? Am I going to get yelled at if I go to the bathroom? You know, um, there's all these kinds of anxieties that you have about, you know, it's not just vanity. Like some people think maybe there's a little bit of vanity, but like there's, it's not just vanity, right? Like, yeah. like, it's like a lot of trans people have safety concerns. And if you're able to be less detectable, like it's, it, it can make your life you easier. You feel more yourself safer. beside that. Yeah. You just, you feel like more yourself. I totally understand that. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's also that, of course. Yeah. So yeah, to me, to me, this was something that I, I'm very happy I did it. I have no regrets. Um, that, but it's, you, so it's, you had all yeah. that done in one session? In one session, so that's, yeah. That sounds absolutely brutal. It's terrible. Like, oh my goodness. Like was your you, face uh, all bandaged and everything? It was, yeah, like full head of bandages, exactly. God. And like, how do you even file down the forehead? Because like, you must have had a huge, I don't know how they do that. That's well, crazy. I don't want to get too like grossed out about it, but, but but they basically, I mean, surgery is, it's amazing like what they can do. Basically, they, they do an incision behind your hair. Oh. And they go under. Whoa. They kind of, <laughs> they kind of peel your forehead down. Holy they, shit. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's scary, but like they're, they're good at it. And yeah. so like basically I used to have a, like, um, you know, there was kind of like a, almost like a bald spot here where the, where mm. the incision was across mm -hmm. the top of my head. That's gone now because the hair has grown over it. So you can't even notice that there's, there's no scars. It's mm. very, it's like the result is very, like, you can't tell that surgery happened. Wow. That, yeah, that's, that sounds, wow. All that at one time. How long did it take you to recover? Um, I would say it, would, it was about 10 days of recovery. Oh, and then the bad. swelling that lasted another month. And right. Then, like, uh, 
but uh, yeah, it's 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 not as bad as you might think. Although the, the, it's the first three days that are really horrible. So now that you're kind of on the other mm-hmm. side of, uh, not entirely, I guess there's still more to go. But like you've come a long way, right? From from those first days. So how are you feeling now about being a female and and like? You talk about you were depressed before and all this. Like, has it helped uh, a lot of the? Do you feel better? Like, just I would, generally? yeah. I would say that it's 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 helped exactly one area of my life. It's helped the gender problem. That was mm. kind of a defining thing for for my whole adult life up until this. Um, it really has helped. But I won't say I'm not going to say that. It, oh, it solves all your problems. Like, no, it doesn't solve all your problems. Like, if you, if if if, you, if anyone's going into to transition because it's going to solve all your problems or give you a new identity, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that at all. In fact, it adds a lot of new problems in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I guess for, I'm in a weird situation because I've kind of transitioned very much. I mean, on YouTube, basically. Mm. So it's been very much in the public eye. Um, and so with that comes a lot of scrutiny, a lot of judgment, a lot of responsibility when it comes to other trans people see you, like not just as an individual person, but like they see you as doing the work of kind of representing them to the public. Mm-hmm. And so if you do something they don't like, if you say something they don't like, then they feel you're kind of you're kind of fucking them mm-hmm. because you're misrepresenting them. So that's a tough situation to be in because it's like, you know, I can't just be myself. Um and you know, I, I kind of, I kind of found a way to f- find a new like sh- sh- closet to get into when I transitioned. Mm. Because when I once I transitioned, I started dating men mm. because I, I sort of I don't know. There there's this anxiety that I had about like you know, oh I have to show the world that I'm a really a woman, and like that means mm. trying to be like. It's almost and you almost like you leave like one gender prison and you kind of move into a different one. That's what mm. this is what happened to me anyway. Where now I'm kind of like I feel this like obligation to be like a gender conforming woman in every respect, which mm. included dating men. So I did that for 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 a couple of years before realizing like, um, I mean actually like the people I'm usually attracted to are are, are other trans women. Um, Ah. It's a form of it's a form of gayness that that straight people haven't even found out about yet. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're not attracted to like uh, cis like cis females. You're hmm. you're mostly attracted to trans females like yourself. Well, I'm actually I'm actually attra- I would say I'm attracted to both, but ah. I just I'm mostly interested in dating trans women because. Uh, I don't know, this might change later in my life, but at the moment, there's a kind of lot of reasons why I find it just easier to date trans women. Like we have this kind of shared understanding of this like background and this journey. Uh, Like there's a lot of stuff that you have to explain to a partner who isn't trans that you kind of just don't with Mm. with someone who's trans. So to me, I I don't know, I, I I like being with trans women because I just... I just find it sort of very relaxing, I guess, mm, mm-hmm. in, in a way that I, I would sort of, yeah. And there's also a kind of like, I don't know, in, in some ways I would always worry if I was with, um, if I was with a cis woman, I'd always kind of worry that about being like, oh, like the more like male part. I mean, I know that's like not like a, a, a healthy worry, but like it's, it's, it's just like a, a subtle psychological thing that it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's, it's kind of nice to, to, to not worry about that. To not worry that about the difference between my body and the body of my partner. So when you first transitioned, you you felt compelled to date 
men just because yeah. you want like it's just it goes to show how complicated it can be there's all these things and especially the social pressure because i think a lot of people would say oh you okay so you're trans female but you're attracted to female they might be like you know that that sounds ridiculous like why yeah a lot of, yeah i think a lot of people think that is ridiculous um i think that and that sense that it's ridiculous i think probably caused me to tr not transition sooner in some ways mm. because it's it's it does seem like i guess it seems to be like the point of transitioning is to be attractive to men mm. but it's not like right. uh you know if if you if you're if you want to attract men and you're born male uh there's a lot of men who are into men <laughs> and you can attract them mm. so people who transition it's it's not just about who you want to attract. It's, it's like rarely really about who you want to attract. It's about like who you are, like how you want to experience the world, and like like who you are as a person. What kind of body do you feel at mm -hmm. home in? What kind of um, you know social role do you have to perform? Although I should say social role is sort of different from gender. It's not. I'm not talking about gender stereotypes because obviously like I'm not a stereotypical woman in a lot of ways. Um, stereotypical women don't date women for instance right right um but yeah i think i think to me it wasn't just the shame of it that led me to date men i, I sort of uh i guess there there was i made a, video, a whole video about this called shame on my channel where i talk about like my experience dating men and and like there are things i genuinely liked about it like i i think i'm someone who has like a sexuality that, that's at least a little bit fluid mm -hmm. to the point where, uh, like, I don't know, I guess I, I call myself like a gay trans woman, a trans woman who's attracted to women. But I would say that, like, I'm not the most, like, the most, um, I'm not the least bisexual person. <laughs> I guess you could put it that way. Like, like I haven't enjoyed, like, sexual experiences with men, even enjoyed dating men. Mm. Um, it's just that I feel like that's kind of, like, not really the right um I'm, I'm trying to think if people are going to be mad at me because I'm like misrepresenting lesbianism or something. But I, um, I just wish I could identify as nothing sometimes so I could just not represent anybody. It's so complicated. <laughs> but, Your life is yeah, so complicated. Com I mean, it's like, yeah. I, this is the part that's, that's so challenging for me and like someone who's just honestly trying to understand it. And I can only imagine in your, in your case, it's like you're someone who's honestly trying to, you know, convey who they are and how they feel and yet there's the people are can be so judgmental maybe it's just because the position you're in is so sensitive so i don't i don't want to judge them for being judgmental but like i know that people have gotten mad at you for things that you've said about being trans and it's like you know yeah. you like you said you're escaping one cage you're entering another one i just it makes it hard to have conversations when we're all on eggshells i feel like and i, I don't know if you agree or maybe i'm just being overly yeah, no, Maybe I, it's easier I think, for me to say because yeah. I'm on the outside looking in, you know. Um, I think to some extent that's true. It is very, very difficult to talk about these things in public in this day and age. Um, in, and you're right, there's a lot of judgment coming from a lot of directions. Like there's a lot of people who would want to tell, there's a lot of people who are very confident that they know who and what I am, right. despite the fact that they have thought about this for 10 seconds and I've thought about this for 20 years. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people will say, well, well, if you're, if you're trans woman, well, you're just a, you're just a gay man in denial. And then I say, well, I'm attracted to women. So they say, well, you're just a straight man in denial. And it's like, well, but I'm not though. Yeah. Like it's, 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 well, it's. Why would you go uh, yeah. through everything you've done? Yeah. If you're just a man in denial, that's just silly. Right. Like, I, I don't know why people um, have a such a hard time. I think people just haven't thought it through that well. Like, mm -hmm. and it's, 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 I guess when you hear about it in the abstract, 
it's kind of hard to like it's hard to imagine like like I think you hear oh some people have surgery to change their gender and you think what like having surgeries doesn't make you a different gender. Like, you know, like, which is, is true, actually. It's having surgeries doesn't make you a different yeah. gender. Um, to understand, like, what, where trans people are coming from, like, this is, this. it's, um, you know, you don't want to, I hate to say, like, corny things, like, it's about your soul, mm. but it kind of is at the end of the day. Like, it's about how you experience the world, how you experience your body, how you experience relationships with other people. It's not easy to translate that into some simple explanation, mm. right? Of like, oh, here's what being trans is. Just, just accept it. I guess my hope is that I kind of describe my experiences to people and they will kind of, they'll be, they'll, they'll find something that they'll be able to empathize with, with what I've experienced and, and, so, and hopefully understand it a little better um, because yeah, I hope that that makes them sort of less eager to tell them like, oh no, I'm they, they've got me figured out. They know what I really am. Right. right. Although it is possible through people like you talking so openly about it, that something so complicated and hard to put into words can just become maybe um, some a, com a shared common knowledge, I think, maybe. I hope. And like, you know, I don't know how long it takes, but you say, when you say, I'm a trans lesbian, or however you refer yourself, people actually know what that means and don't try to say tell you who you are. Well, I agree. That's my also my hope, and I think that YouTube is kind of fabulous for that kind of thing exactly because it. Well, there's a lot of talk about like parasocial relationships between creators and their fans, which means like when your people are fans of a YouTuber. Well, you kind of feel like you know them on some level. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've experienced this my, myself as like a, a viewer of YouTube, like. A creator, if I watch a lot of someone's videos, I kind of, it's like this almost delusion that they're your friend, you know, you feel like you know them because you know so much yeah. about them. Um, and obviously that can lead to these problems where people feel like, like entitled to tell you what to do with your life because they feel like, you know, your friends or whatever. But the positive side of it, as I see it is, you know, most people, like you said, like probably don't know a trans person. They don't, they're not friends with a trans person, but if they follow your YouTube channel, they watch your videos for, you know, 20 hours or whatever. Over that time, like people right. sort of, that, that, that parasocial thing actually kind of can work because it helps people better understand the experiences that they might never have access to otherwise, right? Yeah. Especially so like intimately as, as you, and with such detail as you can talk about it on YouTube, right? And that I think gives people a kind of portal into our world that I hope leads people to be a little bit more understanding. I think you have done an incredible uh, momentous job of normalizing being trans. I mean, you have this huge presence on YouTube. You're extremely popular. You talk about all these broad, I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking of many other people who have done so much good for normalizing what it, what it means to be trans as you have. Well, I hope that, um, yeah, I guess I, I tend not to think about it be <laughs> because it's like, well, Maybe you you understand because you're also like an influencer. Like if you think about your influence, yeah, it's hard yeah. to I, function. Yeah, you know what I is. mean? Like like when if you make a video and, and you know that like okay, a million people are going to watch this video. Well, a million people that's like like Madison Square Garden seats what twenty thousand if it's full. So that's mm -hmm. like five consecutive Madison Square Gardens. Like, do I have anything that I feel comfortable saying to that crowd? Like, oh God, no, right? <laughs> you can't think about it or you'll go crazy. But uh, yeah, I know. I guess I feel some. I do. I do hope that I've, you know, used, used my, 
my podium base here, like to, for, for something good. And I, and I do have to remind myself sometimes that it does, it does matter. It's not just, it does. Uh, it really does. Yeah. I, I, from my point of view, I, I, I think, you know, it does, but, but again, you can't think about your influence. You're totally right. For me, I, I always ignore it, but maybe it's just me trying to pay you a compliment or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take the compliment. Thank <laughs> you, you. When you, when you, this maybe is in the weeds, but I'm, I know that there's like, do you feel like trans people are sometimes fetishized and like pornography or popular media? And then when you're in the dating world, let's say you're dating guys, do you ever wonder like, is this guy into me as a person or is he like fetishizing me? Is that a thought that comes to your mind? Is that a problem in the trans world? Yeah, this is a major issue. I would mm -hmm. say, um, I think, you know, a lot of men probably first really encounter the concept of a trans woman in porn, mm -hmm. like, because it's, it's a very popular category. It comes up, you know, like, and a lot of times that's not the greatest introduction because it does present trans women in a very like fetishized way, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that can even like go into uh, like the language that's used, like I'm gonna say bad words now. So Twitter just ignore this part, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a categorized as like tranny porn, she male porn, right? Yeah. Which I think cause, I, th I think like, if, if this is how you go around the world thinking about trans women, she males, trannies, like it's kind of a, it's a, it's a little bit of a dehumanizing perspective. Right. And a lot of trans women will be irritated, uh, well, more than irritated. Like, like, you know, if they get the sense that you just want to date them out of some experiment of, oh, I'm curious right. to be uh, with a chick with a dick, right? Like that's not, um, you know, what is a trans woman going to get out of that? She's what, just giving you an experience? Like, no, because trans women want what everyone else wants. Mm -hmm. We want to be valued for ourselves. We want to be loved. We want to be, uh, you know, we want to have relationships. We don't just want to be someone's like uh, exotic sex tourism for a night. Mm. Do you, the fact that it's so popular on, in porn sites, mm. how do, what do you think about that? Like, is that good? Is that bad? Like, what does that mean that, that it's turned into this this porn category. Uh, it means a lot of men are liars. <laughs> it means it means that, uh, hmm. well, they're not liars. I shouldn't, that's too judgmental, but I would say there's a lot more men who are attracted to trans women and trans women's bodies than are publicly open about that fact. Hmm. Um, I would say that, you know, we talk about the shame of being trans. There's also some, there's also shame attached to being attracted to trans people. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people find themselves attracted to trans people and then they don't kind of know what to make of that because in their heads, like, oh, like suppose you're a man and you're, think of yourself and you're heterosexual and, you know, but you find yourself attracted to this woman who has a penis. And then for a lot of men that causes them to have this kind of crisis where they're like, oh God, is this gay? Am I gay? Who am I? What is anything? Like, mm -hmm. like, uh, <laughs> I guess I encourage people to like relax a little, a little bit. Like the, the, the fact of the matter is that like sexuality is very complicated. Most of us are a little more fluid than we like to think. And also I would say that, you know, if you're worried, is it, is it gay? The quote, well, no, it's not gay is the short answer I would say, because uh, what it means to be a gay man is to be a man who's attracted to men because you were attracted to with to a woman with a penis. Does that mean now suddenly you want to have sex with men? Like, no, it doesn't mean that it means that you were mm. attracted to a woman and that woman had a penis. Like you're answering um, the time old question of the internet here today. Oh yes. Well, I have a video on the subject <laughs> called our traps gay. <laughs> oh, oh, you do. I haven't seen that. Yes, our traps. I do. Gay. 
And I, so I, no, this, the answer is no. Uh, the answer, the short answer is no. Yeah, the video is an hour long. If you want the long oh, wow. answer, okay, so uh, very, very short yeah. answer. Uh, and I, I made that video. Yeah, I made that video when I was, you know, dating men. So I, it was something that was kind of on my mind, and I had had these experiences. With Did men. these men who were dating you ever have these kind of conflicts of identity? Of identity, like, am I gay? Am I straight? What's going on? Um. Yes, I, I definitely have had have had men. Um, it sends them into this like deep f- philosophical hmm. spiral. Uh, uh, sometimes, or I've also had like I don't know. You have a lot of experiences that are interesting. Like I don't know. I had um, like some men will think like, oh, I'm attracted to you, but like I don't. I'm not attracted to penises, so I'm not interacting with that at all. Hmm. And I'm and, and and I and a couple of times I said okay to that because. I don't know. I guess I have no self-respect, whatever. But like, uh, I don't know. But but then they would kind of get interested as they became interested in me. But people like, there's a kind of complicated thing about sexual attraction where people think that like sexual attraction is to body parts, right? So what it means mm. to be, uh, you know, what it means to be attracted to women is, oh, I love vaginas, right? Or something like that. Well, and what, and, and what it means to be into men is I love dick. Okay, a lot of times that's probably true, but sometimes, um, you know, sexual attraction is not so, like, atomistic. It's not so, like, zoomed in on one little fetishized body part. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you're a, I think people often are surprised when they first find themselves attracted to a trans person because, um, you know, you always think, like, penis man, vagina woman. Well, most people have not really encountered the body of someone who has like breasts, for example, and a penis. And I guess, um, you know, initially, I guess that this make, make, make people uncomfortable because they don't, their sort of brain doesn't know how to process this, mm. right? Including the part of their brain that is involved in sexual attraction. Like, uh, like well, maybe I'm attracted to parts of this person, but other parts I don't know. And like, and then, and then, like, so I think this is where some of like the the this is where the deep philosophical introspection comes in, right? As people try to understand what it means that they're attracted to something that they didn't think that they would be attracted to. I wonder what it says about us that it's just it's such a big deal anyway. It's like okay, this person has a penis, and you find your that you're that you're attracted to this person, which includes their penis. Like, why does that have to be an it like such a ground? Sh- like, why do why does it keep? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, who cares? Yeah. Like, what's the big fucking interest? Well, it's it is it is it's like when you break it down like that, it is kind of crazy, right? That people like 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 who cares exactly? Like, it it really doesn't matter, and it shouldn't be such a big deal. I guess well, the reason it seems to matter to people it's is a like lot people of history. get yeah, and people get very invested in their. Yeah identity like yeah, and, totally. and their identity includes like a sexuality if you go through life thinking that you're a straight man mm-hmm. like to have something that, that that maybe makes you um sort of that sort of shakes your certainty in that mm. can be it's not just about like oh i was attracted to this person one it's like who am i right that's <laughs> right, why right, right, that's right. why it does that yeah but i wonder if it and, also underlies some some notion that we as society society still hold be like gay bad or trans bad, oh, and so it's like, sure. oh no, like there's something bad about me now that I like this person, which includes their penis. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I think that there's definitely, st- I mean, there's definitely still stigma on homosexuality. Like, mm. and that's especially true. I think if you're like, 
a masculine man who is in you know n- operating in heterosexual spaces like there's there's real stigma to to you know even like being a bisexual man like right. I, i've heard from from bi men who i know that like there's a, women who will just like a lot of women actually who will just straight up refuse to date them simply right. because they've been with guys or because they have some attraction to men also mm-hmm. so i think that for a lot of people there's sort of there's there's social pressure and there's sort of an incentive to be more black and white rather than shades of gray, when the reality often is more shades of gray. Right. So let me ask you this then, because you, you it seems like your dating life so far has been a lot about like, you are a female, but you also have a penis. So what happens when you get the surgery and you like fully transition to female? How does that affect your dating life, do you think? Well, it, I think that, um, you know, some trans women I know find that it actually leads to a decrease in people who are interested mm. because so many of the people who are interested are interested in this, like I was talking about, this like exotic chick with a dick experience. Mm-hmm. Well, most trans women don't particularly mind that drop off in partners because they're not really interested in being this fetish object. So for some trans women, I think it comes as like a liberation. Like it's like, well, now at least I know that anyone who's interested in me Mm -hmm. is interested in me for the right reasons. Um, And I think that, um, you know, it's it's valid for people to have different attractions. Like I understand that like there's, there's gonna be people who only want, like who, who, are willing to be with a trans woman, but only if she has a vagina, um, right? Only if she's post-op. Um, so, you know, that kind of changes if, if, if you're, you can date those people after you're post-op, obviously. And then those people who, people who are only after this, like, girl with a penis experience, then they won't want to date you anymore. So, uh, you know, that's something that trans people consider. But I think for the most part, like, this is not really, like, why we're having the surgery or not. It's it's about us, you know. It's mm-hmm. about our bodies and what we want and how we, you know, how what we have to do to feel comfortable. It's not about, like, oh, I'm doing this to make other people attracted to me. So, uh, there's so much to think about. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a lot for 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 you guys going through that. It is a lot, yeah. It's It takes up a lot of life just figuring it all out. Well, what is it like? Um, you're a progressive. Is that the right title? I think probably. I, I, I like that title. Yeah. Yeah. You're progressive. You're trans on a platform where conservative politics seems to be like the predominant force. And so I'm just curious, what's your experience like on YouTube? Uh, are people, do you find a lot of hostile forces? Do you find a lot of supportive forces? I mean, both I'm sure, but kind of curious on your experience. Well, when I started, it was 2016, and back then it was even more true that it was a conservative platform. Mm. Like, I guess uh, this was the era of SJW cringe compilations, (laughs) purple-haired feminists, uh, 76 genders, like this whole Mm -hmm. moment in YouTube internet history. Um, Yeah, I guess that that kind of stuff was kind of initially kind of what motivated me to start making YouTube Mm. videos, is that I saw that there was this kind of political commentary on on community, not necessarily a community, but like a market, I guess, for this kind of content, getting, just doing huge numbers, millions of views about people dunking on like 17 year old, like feminists or whatever. Um, I was just like, okay, there, there's like an opening here for someone to come in and like- Block the shot. 
uh, block the shot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess that, that's kind of what I what I sort of set out to do at the beginning is like, um, you know, I wanted to kind of introduce a more nuanced discussion of this. And like, I guess I I had been you know in academia a grad as grad student, so I had been around campus activists like. I knew how annoying they could be. And so I guess on some level, I, I understood like I could have like a visceral sympathy with the people who are anti-social justice warrior mm. because it's like, yeah, a lot of social justice warrior behavior is very annoying and very off-putting. Mm. And I get why people don't like it. Mm. But I, I guess what I saw was that in response to this like annoying preachy, uh, you know, kind of behavior was that people were just like shutting down any interest in progressive causes and things were going like speeding to the right wing very fast. And, you know, it, it, it was something I was sort of personally invested in because a, a lot of this was, you know, the trans people were kind of scapegoated through a lot of this mm. as like these crazy snowflakes. And, you know, I kind of knew that I was part of that group. So I, there was always kind of this, this incentive, I guess, for personal uh, involvement mm. where I kind of wanted to make myself understood by more people than just the people who were already like vocal activists. You know, I wanted to be understood by, better by normal people, by like a general YouTube audience. Like, I don't know if that's normal, but, mm. <laughs> but as a, you know, that that's sort of what I uh, envisioned for the beginning. So, you know, as things have grown, like there is a big leftist community on YouTube now. I mean, I've right. got like what are they, like a million subscribers, more than a million subscribers now. So a lot of the feedback I see is now very positive. But when I started, that was definitely not the case. Like I got like the first few videos I think I uploaded on this channel got mostly downvoted. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Was that yeah. discouraging? Did you ever feel like quitting? Um, actually, no, because I felt like. To, to me, I saw it as a challenge to f find out how to how to get these people. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. How to get these people on my side. Like, and so I guess even though I was being attacked, I was like, all right, like, what can you know? I don't know. I, I've always kind of wanted to be an entertainer, right? Like I mentioned my past as a musician. On YouTube, I want to be an entertainer too. And part of that, part of being an entertainer is winning over an audience, right? Like you have to kind of get people, not just speak to people, but also get them to want to listen. Mm. And so I found, you know, by trying to make my videos more entertaining uh, and by using kind of theatrics and other things like that, I could sort of make a video that was very inviting, um, so, sort of easy, to, easier to get into and, you know, uh, not not so like here's what you believe here's the, the list of the ten things that are bigoted about what you're doing you know what I mean like like mm. that th th I didn't want to do that kind of content because it seems like it just drove people away. Interesting. I mean, what do you well what do you think about there's people like let's say. Do you think YouTube's a good place to to engage with? I mean, you have these huge, like Tim Pool, Ben Shapiro. Mm. The quartering who pees in his own basement. I don't know if you know about that. No. Oh, you don't? Okay, that's fine. But um, you, I, I, I don't know what it is. They have like these daily shows, right, that they, they command these huge audiences. But 
what in really interested me is when you made this Jordan Peterson video, who's like, you know, this godfather of kind of conservatism in a way. And if you go over to like the Jordan Peterson subreddit, you can see that the people there are really reasonable or like they're actually really receptive to your video. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I got interested in Jordan Peterson. Well, initially I got interested in Jordan Peterson because he kind of rose to fame as someone who was the speaking out guy. against the, the yeah. pronoun thing. Yeah. And for a while, so I kind of resented him at first because everyone was asking me all the time, why are you taking away our free speech? Why are you trying to send people to jail for using the wrong pronoun? Well, of course, we're not trying to do that. No one has ever gone to jail for using the wrong pronoun in, in Canada. So it was all fear mongering. But I guess I, I, I decided, I don't know, why don't I start listening to this guy's podcast? Mm. So I started listening to Jordan Peterson's podcast and I actually thought that it was very interesting. Mm. Um, like, I don't know, I just I just found him like an, an interesting person. And I sort of, I guess I, I felt like I was sort of getting why a lot of people liked him. Right. Um, and that he, well, he's, he's and I, I can see to a certain kind of person, he's like, could be a dazzling speaker. He's educated, very educated and he has all these examples and he, uh, seems to be offering like life advice as well as politics. And a lot of the life advice is kind of, you know, self-help motivational stuff. So it's the combination of that with like his attacking the, uh, you know, the, the sort of activism that irritates a lot of people. Hmm. So this was a recipe for success. Um, but I guess I fundamentally disagreed with a lot of what he was saying about, well, certainly about, the pronoun thing, but also about um, he was he, he was kind of very alarmist about what his phrase was like postmodern neo Marxism, which don't is know what, what he, that means. Yeah, no one knows what it means. Well, he I says mean, cult, uh, yeah. we had him on our show a few times, and he always he would mm -hmm. say all the time cultural Marxism, and I still don't know what I don't know what that means. I just gla it just glazes over me. Well, when you ask, like, when you look at the examples that he uses of, like, postmodern neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism, it's all kind of the, the same thing. Like, he's talking about, like, this strange, like, imaginary union of, like, right. HR departments that, like, have, like, diversity quotas and hiring plus, you know, leftist academics plus. Um, it just seems to be, like, all the, basically some, like, conglomerate of all the institutional forces that have anything progressive about about them mm -hmm. um and you know i guess it's like a tip it goes along with a lot of like anti like affirmative action arguments as you, as you argue that this is some kind this is the new racism right this isn't just some kind of authoritarian project that's gonna like mm. uh i don't know throw you in pronoun jail and and, and make you go to diversity training or whatever um uh, i guess my confusion was like his alarm about that never really amounted to anything i saw in reality so i was always like He's talking about it like some some force is coming to sweep us all away, the new fascism. And I the disconnect for me was just like I had a hard time taking that seriously because it just it didn't see anything like that in the world that I was living in. Yeah, he compared um, like trans activists to Stalin <laughs> because he's you know, he said that oh the say there's the same authoritarian principle. And it's like, well, First of all, wanting people to call you by your pronouns is like very much not the same as like wanting to take control of a state where you like dictate the economy and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just like it's, not Stalinism. It's, it's, this is like a ridiculous exaggeration, right? And also it's especially ridiculous because 
trans activists like at the end of the day don't really have any power mm-hmm. um like uh i guess you know people look at these little cases of like oh like someone got fired for saying something transphobic you know what i mean and they're like well this is it 1984 is orwell's yeah. nightmare like but it's like that that's just not that's not what authoritarianism is like that's not that is not like having like that's just a, a fringe group looking yeah. for some acknowledgement man. I, I didn't yeah, understand exactly. why yeah i mean I, so like the thing about the law that he became fo- famous for the pronoun thing mm. i've had trouble getting the whole thing straight but from what i understand there was never really an int- was there ever an intention in canada to hold people criminally liable for using the wrong pronoun what like what originally was the law no i mean yeah. all that law does is bill c16 i think is what it was called is all it does is adds transgender people to the list of people who are prote- protected under like can canadian human rights oh um law. like a hate crime yeah so basically the, like black, the jordan uh, Pen- yeah, yeah. jews jordan black Peterson's, people exactly. minorities yeah yeah, and indigenous Canadians, right, right. The whole, and like the 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 argument that Jordan Peterson made was like, oh, this could be used to like force people to use a certain pronoun or something. You know Is this fear that that anyone can say they're trans? Yeah. That wasn't what he. That wasn't what it was about. It was about just like fear that like, oh, we're going to be coerced into using people's pronouns, so and it's going to be justified with this law, which they're going to say it's a hate crime. Right, hmm. but it's total speculation that amounted to nothing. Yeah, it was kind of amazing how much built off that one story. Mm-hmm. Well, he's back. What do you think about he's back? He, he's been on quite a journey. It sounds like you're somewhat of a yeah. fan of his, or at least you followed his career. I did. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan, but I did. I but maybe you're, more you're, of an anti-fan, but yeah. Yeah, an anti-fan. I followed his fan, career. Not yeah. a fan. Well, you say you listen to his podcast and, yeah. you know, you like what he, I like. For You know, when I, when I had him on, we did talk about politics. We talked about philosophy and kind of the self-help mm-hmm. stuff, and it was great. But um, but he's back. He had a tough time, man. I don't know if you've been following. Yeah, all this. the benzo addiction. That's a very difficult thing. Benzo um, meat diet. Meat diet. That I I cannot make heads or tails of the meat diet. That seems like madness to me. That's all meat diet. And apparently, he's still on it. I mean, I think the very fact of what he went through may negate all the benefits they may be saying about the meat diet. How does he poop? How do you poop if you only eat meat? I do wonder, what is, I, you must be like super constipated. I would think. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like huh. the fiber Can is that? like. A, Can someone look that up? Yeah. What's the bowel movements of an all meat diet look like? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see a picture. I'm just curious about the description <laughs> okay. of it. Bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on someone like Joe Rogan? I'm just kind of curious. Like he, he's very um, popular, obviously, on YouTube. He's leaving YouTube, but he has such a huge influence on young men. Yeah, I think that 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 he is kind of like the biggest of these kind of YouTube voices. It's basically talk. I mean, it's talk radio for millennials, right? Mm. Like it's it's the sort of position that like Rush Limbaugh had. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan is not Rush Limbaugh. I think that his way he positions himself is as more of a. Um, 
he's more of a like guide to the various guests. Like he, he's a little bit more neutral, mm. but I guess a problem I, I, an objection I have with Joe, Joe Rogan is that he'll have these like very right wing people on, um, you know, especially it's actually, especially awful with the trans issue. Like he'll just have Ben Shapiro on to just like talk about why trans people are delusional perverts or whatever. And it's like, he doesn't really challenge that very hard. Right. And so in effect, it's like endorsing that message to his audience. Yeah. That's a challenge. I mean, yeah, as a, as a host like him, it's really challenging. It's like, do you not have these people on or does he has a, an obligation to be more prepared for the arguments that are going to come up so that he doesn't put that out as an endorsement? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's, it's this difficult decision, right? Like, like who do you have on as a guest, like on your show? And like, I, to, to, to me, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any principled objection to like having Ben Shapiro on as like a, a podcast guest, but I feel that people who have, have a responsibility, I guess, I don't know, like, like I feel if I were, if I had a show that I were had guests on and I had the guest on who was saying like a bunch of racist things, like I would feel like I had some responsibility to be like, uh, whoa, like I don't, agree with that that seems kind of racist you know you know what i mean like like or at least like maybe not say that but like at least like challenge them on it whereas if i just let them go and i'm like that's an interesting opinion Mm. you know what i mean it kind of legitimizes and normalizes what they're saying which is not amazing um that said, do I think it's like evil? Like, yeah. no, I don't think it's evil, but I think that it's like kind of an irresponsible use of, or at least it's frustrating to me as a trans person yeah. to to like, cause it's just too easy to imagine when you say, oh God, like, you know, 10 million people are watching this. Like, it's just making the world harder for trans people. It's like, it's like setting us back. It's, it's making, it's like steepening the slope that we have to climb to get anything mm. done, you know, mm. or just to live our lives even. Mm. So when you're when you're whipping up antipathy to like an already marginalized community on your show, it just makes lives the lives of 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 you know people who are out here harder, and it's hard not to have like some negative feelings about that. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable for sure. Um, guys, do we have any updates on? Me? Yeah, and funny enough, okay, uh, since we're on the topic of Joe Rogan, I guess uh, I found an article where he had tried it and reported on. Uh, and it's actually the opposite of what I thought. Um, apparently, it gave him explosive diarrhea. Oh, gross. Uh, which he described like <laughs> unlike anything he had ever experienced before. That's not good. And said it was only a matter of time until he shits his pants. <laughs> doesn't that mean he's not digesting his food? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound very healthy. Ugh. Can so, you- like, no nutritionist, like, would ever recommend that you only eat meat. Like, I don't understand how this is seriously something that people are entertaining so okay so jordan apparently he started his his daughter was like you got to try this all meat diet it's everything and at first he's like okay i'll eat meat and veggies but then he cut out the veggies and he's like it's cured my depression i've lost 50 pounds but you know he went to get like treated in russia for a day i mean like something went wrong with the diet it just sounds like snake oil to me like it sounds like a miracle for sure like bullshit diet for sure. I mean, all meat diet. Like, I what don't is know. the? Uh, is there like a theory behind it, Dan? That it's like some cr- like that? Because usually with these diets, it's like we're living like cavemen used to live. How our bodies meant to be. But I don't right. see any right. world There's at least where some logic to that. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I, I've never really understood what the argument for it is. Uh, I don't think we ever just got down with meat, and they eat raw have, like, meat m- too, dude. 
like raw meat. Yeah. That's, I feel like humans invented cooking for a reason. Right. And like, like, I don't know, civilization has thrived with the humans cooking. It seems strange to give that up. Also, we have like molars, <laughs> like teeth in the back for plants yeah. that are probably there for reason. Like, I don't know. We're not carnivores. Like, like cats are carnivores, right? Like they can only digest meat, mm. but that's like humans are, are not that. So it's, I feel like people always have to take everything to, to the extreme. It's like, we've done everything else. Now let's just eat meat. Like all these well, diet it, fats yeah. are like, this is all that's left. Let's just do Big massive dumps. <laughs> because it's also like like Jordan Peterson is someone who's so like so like his arguments often come from like evolutionary biology, yeah. like the whole lobster thing. It's like, right. well, there's hierarchies among lobsters, like we should have hierarchies too. <laughs> like, well, but then but primitive humans didn't only eat meat. No, so why should not. like it just I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It just it doesn't add up to me. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think people, these guys, these people who do these crazy diets, they just like trying these extreme things. And I think people kind of like, oh, people, this one's, I think we humans, like naturally, we want to regulate our diet in some way. Like most mm. cultures have some kind of dietary code mm. and then people who don't have one, like make them up like mm. keto or vegan or like, I don't know, people like the ritual, it's, it's, uh, the ritual. Yeah. yeah. Of having some kind of like, um, I wish I had a ritual. Just yeah, I could use a little bit everything. of structure in my life. It's total chaos over here. Yeah. Um, but well, well, it's like you say, order out of chaos. But that seems like yeah. the wrong, that seems like an approach that it, like all meat, I don't think that. Just imagine meat. Jordan yeah. Peterson having explosive diarrhea, if you would, please. They call them dumps. I'm picturing it. It's crystal like, clear. <laughs> like, yeah. like just not even fully digested meat, just blasting out of his ass just, just animal blood <laughs> just God. shit well on that note natalie i think we've said it all yeah that's i don't i, I don't know the universe has come to its conclusion yeah <laughs> Jordan well Peterson i i thank you diarrhea. first of all contrapoints on youtube was amazing we're all fans and uh, i thank you for talking so openly with me i felt like i learned a lot and i really appreciated our conversation and just thanks for everything you do and really appreciate You're you. Very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. We're coming through on that ass, baby. You better watch out. You better watch out. Hey, coming through on that motherfucking ass. Listen to me.